Welcome to Evolve. My name is Brandon Silver and I believe that evolution of the world requires evolution of the individual. I believe entrepreneurs are consistently changing that world and we always will be. So with this show I will bring you the people and ideas with tools necessary to hack your growth in your business and your life. Together let's ask the world's biggest question, build businesses to solve them, and live happy and fulfilling lives in the process. It's time to evolve. Hey everyone, welcome to Evolve. Today's guest is a brand strategist, o- ocean activist, and entrepreneur who founded or sits on the board of not one, but five major ocean advocacy groups, including Sup Kids, Project Blue, Starboard, Wavemakers Collective, and Plastic Free Jersey, and has helped hundreds of other startups, entrepreneurs, and nonprofits to build brands with purpose. In partnership with the United Nations Technology and Innovation Labs, her company, Sup Kids, teaches stand-up paddleboarding, environmental education, and water safety um, to cultivate a passion for the environment and the youth. She's built an astonishing 40-plus schools across 18 countries, creating a culture of young ambassadors across the globe for taking care of the planet. With a background in live events and experimental experiential marketing, she has also built the first Project Blue event in 2017 as a way to bring ocean advocates together and have a greater impact. Now in its third year, Project Blue has evolved into an ocean-focused agency with 15 years of experience in education, sustainability, brand strategy, and storytelling. I'm honored to welcome a woman who spends as much time in the water as she does protecting it, Lindsay Hawken. Hey, wow, that like that's humbled me, that introduction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So let's go ahead and dive into it and uh, tell me about being an entrepreneur, you've already um, what I like to call cycled once, meaning you built a successful business, you know, running festivals and then had it coming crashing to the ground. So tell me a little bit about that in your backstory. Yeah. Okay. So um, I think I've always been someone who doesn't, I'm not very good at fitting into the mold. Um, Mm. And so I I guess right from the start, I knew that I wasn't very good at working for other people. (laughs) Um, And so I, yeah, I think, you know, throughout my career, I found ways to, to kind of dive into stuff that interests me and, and uh, kind of take my own path. Um, and I kind of fell into events by mistake somewhat. I just, um, at the time I was running a surf school and uh, I was, you know, I live, I live on this island in, the, in between England and France. And um, so it's cold here, right? In the winter, so you can't run a surf school all year round. Um, and so I would travel every winter. And I, it was one winter I was away and I was staying with friends in Australia and uh, a really good friend of mine is a professional freestyle motocross rider. And I went to one of his shows and I was like, oh my God, this is epic. Why don't we have any shows like this at home? And so I kind of came mm. home that summer and, and, um, and started running events. So the first kind of, the first like few events that I ran were freestyle motocross, skate, surf, uh, BMX events with a little bit of music on the side. Um, and it's funny because I look back now and I'm like, what was I thinking? Like I had no <laughs> idea what I was doing and I just kind of winged it, but it worked, you know, and they were really successful. Um, and then I, um, I have like a funny story where my dad was, this is probably like three years into running that event. And I was doing it as a side hustle. I was um, running mm-hmm. a surf school and then I actually went to work for the government here um, at their environment department for a couple of years. And <clears throat> My dad got really into this Australian musician called Xavier Rudd, um, amazing musician. And um, just one day, like on a whim, I went to his website and I emailed his manager and was like, I want to, 
I want to, I like, I'd love him to play here. Can I run a gig? And um, I lied my pants off in that email <laughs> as to like how much experience I had. Um, and yeah, offered what I now know to be way too much money. But anyway, they said yes. And then I started running festivals pretty much from then in. Um, and it was an amazing experience and it was, you know, a huge learning curve. Um, but, um, you know, it was a, it was a great time. Um, and then four years in, we, we did the kind of classic, um, classic mistake, especially in the events world where we, we started kind of growing too big too soon, you know, like we mm. had a good thing going, we had a really successful event here on the Island. Um, and we wanted to add a second event and in effect doing that, um, put a huge amount of pressure on us as a business in terms of cash flow. and very long story short, um, we ended up in a really tricky financial situation with the, uh, the other event and ending up having to cancel that before it actually happened. And mm. knock on effect of that meant that we lost the show here. And, and then, you know, the knock on effect of that was that that business went bankrupt. Then I lost my marriage and like the whole thing kind of went down the drain. And, um, although, now I wouldn't, you know, I honestly wouldn't change like where I'm at right now for the world. Um, it was a pretty traumatic <laughs> experience, you know, and it taught me a lot. Um, I'm definitely a lot smarter than I was then um, and a lot wiser. But um, yeah, I don't know. Weirdly, I don't know that I would take it back because um, mm. yeah, it was, a, it was a massive and very expensive learning experience. But all the same, it was, you know, there was a lot that came out of it. Yeah. So tell me about um, sort of how you pulled yourself from the ashes of that, some of the lessons you learned, and then you started diving into coaching and branding and right. a whole different shift. So um, I was married at the time. I'm not anymore, but I was married to an Australian. So we, we moved back to Australia. We had built a house there previously, moved back there. And the first thing I did was um, I went back to my roots and started teaching surfing again because I just knew it was going to make me really happy. Um, it was never going to make me rich, but I was like, I just need to be in the ocean and I need to be doing a job that like doesn't stress me out and I can right. just kind of find myself again, quite honestly. And then um, I got some work doing events. Um, yeah, I like somehow found myself back in events <laughs> and marketing mode fairly quickly, um, but but realized pretty quickly that I didn't want to be doing that for anyone else. Um, and I had a really good friend who I had worked with in event production at the festivals who was training to be a coach. And at the time she, she had just graduated, I think. And so she was doing like some pro bono stuff and she, it's so funny. We laugh about it now because at the time she's like, Hey, I'm, I'm doing career transition coaching. I feel like maybe you need, need some, <laughs> just lost everything and you need to find a new career. And so I did some coaching with her and I loved it and it kind of blew my mind. And so then I ended up training to be a coach in Sydney. Um, and yeah, and then it was just a, um, it was a really interesting journey in that I, I started, I think the way many coaches start, which is like very broad and coaching also. Mm -hmm and all sorts of things um but pretty quickly started narrowing in um and some of that was because it was obvious to me some areas I just wasn't really interested in coaching um and then other things that I was like well I have some expertise in these different sectors and I could bring that to, to what I'm doing and so yeah I just kept narrowing in and narrowing in and then really over the last um four years I guess 
started bringing in a lot of my like brand strategy and marketing stuff into that um, and kind of strategy. And then on top of that, like this, this constant passion for like sustainability and specific conservation. And so I feel really lucky now that, um, you know, I'm in a position where the branding I do, I, you know, I've gotten to a place where I can say no to anything that isn't purpose driven. And that feels, Mm. you know, really nice. And it was a really scary decision to start saying no to clients, but it's definitely paid off. Yeah. And so you now you focus in on branding. So tell me what a brand means to you. Yeah. So there's a, there's a quote that I love. Um, and it's from Jeff Bezos. So the founder of Amazon and he says that, uh, branding is what people say about you when you're not in the room. And I just mm. love it because I think a lot of people get confused with brand and they assume that it's about visual identity and design and logos and colors and actually right. The work I do as a strategist comes way before any of that, you know. Um, but it's 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 often a piece of the puzzle that gets forgotten about, or or that people don't recognize the value in it um, until they're further down the line, until they've like thrown a whole load of money at a web designer or um, or something like that, and then it's not quite feeling right or, or sitting right. Um, and it normally goes back to the fact that they didn't build a solid foundation for their brand in the first place. Yeah, I, I love that because um, especially if you put it off for a long time and then you get start getting like customer feedback or what people are saying about your business and you realize that it's not what you want people saying, it's like, well, maybe if you took the time in the beginning to lay that foundation, it would have a different impact on them. And it's also a really, I find like the brand strategy work to be really informative from like a personal development point of view also of like mm-hmm. yeah, understanding like what what your intentions are and where you want to go and why you want to do them and what that looks like and integrating your values into your business and stuff so to me it feels like a really organic way to start um yeah yeah and you focus heavily on you know what's your why both as a person and as a business and for you one of your whys is be you on purpose yeah. so tell me what that means for you and then why having a why is so important Right. So it's really funny because I, when I think back to that, like be you on purpose. So there's a, there's a, I mean, this is how I know you, right. From teaching a mm-hmm. class for Jenny. And, and there's an exercise that I lead people through called the billboard exercise. And it's kind of this idea of like, yeah, what message would you put out to the world? And I remember doing it for the very first time. And my message was, yeah, be you on purpose. And I think that came from a period of time in my life where I had stopped, um, stopped, it wasn't that I wasn't listening to my gut instincts, but I wasn't acting on them. Um, mm. And I was too afraid to act on them. And I, you know, like had imposter syndrome or this, that, and the other, and just didn't voice things when I should have voiced them and didn't put boundaries up when I should have put boundaries up. And, you know, and, and the result of that was it, it definitely played a part in the downfall of my business. You know, there were, there were meetings that I sat in that I knew things that were being said weren't right, but I didn't have the courage to say anything. And so for me, um, there's a, there's a strong element of that. And then I guess another part of it for me is just like, just being unashamedly you, like I've always been, um, I've kind of always been someone that's, that doesn't quite fit in. Um, not so much like an outlier in that respect, but like, you know, I, I went to an all girl school. Um, I just was always like the scruffy one who just was <laughs> surfing. Like I just have never really fitted in into like a, a certain box. Um, and you know, I, I, the Island that I live on, 
has a very strong kind of financial industry and this, that, and the other. And there, there's a very perceived, you know, uh, way of life that you should live and might mm. not look anything <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and I've gotten to a point in life where I'm like, yeah, I'm actually really stoked on what my life looks like. And I, I don't want to be any of those other things. So if, um, if you, you know, if you're offended by the fact that I rock up to a meeting and I'm not wearing a suit or heels, then that's fine. Like we're probably not a good fit for each other, you know, and that, that feels yeah. really nice. And I think it takes time to get to that point, but that's kind of what it means to me. Yeah. And so, and then why is, you know, having that why foundation so important for your business? I mean, it, for me, it's like having a compass. It's it, like everything leads back to that. Right. So knowing why you do what you do enables you to make really smart decisions. Um, it helps you um, align kind of the activities that you do and the projects that you take on and the people that you collaborate with and make sure they're, yeah, that, that you're on the right track. Um, and then ultimately it's what gives you fulfillment and purpose. Yeah. Like if you don't have a why, um, you know, and I think most people have a why, but a, a lot of people haven't uncovered it. Um, mm -hmm. But if you don't have that, then when it gets tough, which it will, <laughs> you have nothing to fall back on, you know? Right. Um, and I think what's interesting to me about the why is that, that it isn't always attached to the thing that you do, right? It's, it's, it's like this overarching kind of belief. Um, and it sometimes pivots and, and uh, evolves a little bit. Like I think definitely now for me, I think the phrase that I hear myself saying pretty regularly um, is around like making a dent in something, you know, because I, I believe really strongly that, that there's a lot of shit going on in the world right now. Um, and you know, it's, it can be overwhelming to turn on the news, um, and see all the stuff going on. And, and to me, I think rather than seeing that and having that overwhelm and kind of running away from it and numbing yourself with, you know, reality TV and sugar and all that junk, it's like, it's not to say you need to go and so solve all the problems in the world, but like pick one, like pick something yeah. and go, go make a dent in it, you know? And, and, and I, I feel really grateful that so many of the people that I get to work with and collaborate with, it's almost like they've picked different things from me. And I love yeah. that, you know, so I have a really good friend of mine, uh, a Portuguese friend of mine who works a huge amount in gender equality and, and there's almost like a sense of relief for me. I'm like, cool. I'm like all in on climate change and ocean conservation, but it's cool because Carolina's on, like she's on gender equality. So I don't have to worry yeah. as much about that because I know there's people who, you know, you can't give everything uh, to all of these different causes. And I think if you find the thing that means a lot to you for whatever connection you have with it, then, then you're going to do the best work in that space, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think... Um you're going to do better work when like you have that connection with, you know, the people that you're working with and because you can do brand strategy with anybody, but because you have that compass in yourself, you know, you know that you want to work with people that are trying to make a bigger impact that are, you know, in some sort of sustainability or something like that. Um, and so that, I think that compass is important. Super important. Yeah. So let's talk about a little bit about how you do branding, because it's a little different than, you know, let's sit one on one here in the office and figure things out. Um, and instead, you take people outdoors in a retreat for a couple of days to really wow. suss some of these things out. So tell me a little bit about that. Um, it's really interesting because it, it, it kind of came about. So for the first two or three years of doing brand strategy, 
you know, the majority of my work was online. Um, and so it was just Skype calls and, and doing it over a six week period, having a weekly call. And I still do that with some clients uh, when like geographically it doesn't make sense <laughs> to go hike together. But um, what I realized was that that was somewhat at odds with who I am as a person and, and, and what I believe to be the best conditions for creativity, which is like, to me, I'm not super creative when I'm sitting in front of a screen all day. Like I get my best ideas and I'm most inspired when I'm outdoors. And so I also think that sometimes that shift in uh, space, like physical space, but also mental space uh, can really help people. And I think what's crazy with brand strategy is um, most people wouldn't know unless you are a coach. Like actually the there's a big chunk of my work as a strategist that's really just coaching. <laughs> you know, it's asking really important questions. And, and a lot of the questions are fairly, like, big questions and deep questions. Um, and so what I, what I started playing with, uh, like, two, two and a half years ago, was like, what would it look like if I took this process outside? And so I, uh, I built a deck of cards that was, in effect, my process in a deck of cards, um, and I, I tested it out with a friend of mine, Asher, who, uh, is, uh, he's an urban farmer, um, based out of New York and he was over here, um, visiting and I was like, okay, let's do this. Let's do two days. And we literally took the deck of cards and a bunch of really good food and we hiked and we went to the beach and we just got it all out in two days. And it proved to me what I kind of knew already was like, wow, this is really powerful if we do it differently. And I think to me, what's exciting is when you do it with teams um, and you take them out of their normal comfort zone of an office mm. or a boardroom. Um, and so now, yeah, that's kind of how, how I do it. And, it, you know, it's, um, it's definitely more challenging from a logistics <laughs> point of view, but, um, but it feels, you know, the, the kind of clients I want to work with are the kind of clients who, who would see that and be like, oh, hell yeah, like, let's go hike for two days. I'm way more excited about that than jumping on a Skype call with you, you know? Yeah, for sure. So you get, like, the dual effect of, you know, what nature is doing, you know, chemically for your brain about the creativity, but then you're also getting the excitement from them of wanting to do that, which is going to produce better results anyways. Totally. And it builds, like, a really beautiful experience. And I think that's what I have noticed you know, there's that amazing Steve Jobs quote that you can only connect the dots looking backwards, right? And I, right. What I realized this is actually probably what drew me to running events in the first place was like experience design. You know, that's what I really geek out about. And I love that. And so doing branding outdoors and running some of the events that I run now, like that's what I love about it is like trying to think of like, how do we make this the most incredible experience possible? Um, so yeah, it's kind of come full circle, I guess. Yeah. And so you recently went on a trip to Italy and you were testing out um, the three day effect. So I was wondering yeah. if you could explain that to us. And then is that something you're trying to like recreate in your branding program? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, so the, the three day effect um, was coined by a guy. I'm going to get it wrong. I think his name is William Strayer. Um, and he's a psychologist. And it was just this concept that, um, you know, I think we all know how disconnected we are. Uh, from nature and how we're completely overstimulated all the time, mm -hmm. right? Like we, I, I literally had a conversation with a friend about this yesterday where I was just like, I, I can so easily find myself 
you know, taking moments of the day, which could otherwise be pauses and trying to jam more stuff in them. Like, Oh, writing, let me put a podcast on. And, and it's like, what's wrong with you? Why can't you just drive your car and have some silence? And so the three day effect is basically saying um, that there's, there's a lot of scientific research that shows it takes three days unplugged in nature to kind of give you a complete reset for your system. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really, that really fascinates me. And I, like, I really believe like at the core of all the sustainability work that I do that um, the first step in making change in terms of like climate change and ocean conservation is like people have to fall in love with nature because until you fall in love with nature, like you're <laughs> really not going to engage and care that much. And so, you know, the three day effect for me is kind of twofold. One is as an entrepreneur who is a hundred percent put my hands up and say, I'm a workaholic. Um, mm-hmm. that it's really important for me to remember this stuff because it's the very thing I'm trying to protect. And ironically, right. I can end up disconnected from it by trying to protect it so much. Um, so it's from a personal point of view is that, but then also, yeah, just exploring what that looks like from an advocacy point of view as well. Like how does it change people? Like, you know, and especially if you're working with people in sustainability, and we can get them outdoors and do their branding and stuff outdoors whilst immersed in nature. Like how, how will that change how they look at the world? You know? Mm, um, yeah. yeah. We would, we, we tested it in Italy. Uh, of course it worked. I knew it was going to work, <laughs> but it was so, I think one of the things for me that I, you know, and, and this isn't part of the, of the research, but for us it was three days in nature, but it was also like three intense days of hiking and paddling. Mm-hmm. And, one of my biggest takeaways was, you know, one evening going to bed and I said to my sister, I'm like, I can't remember the last time I was, I went to bed so physically exhausted as opposed to mentally exhausted. Mm. And I think that's really important. And for me, someone who's like pretty active, I'm like, I want to do more of that. <laughs> like I want to be like, I want to go to bed just completely spent because I've like surfed all day or hiked all day rather than my brain like pinging. Cause I've been working all day, you know? Yeah. And it gives you a, a deep appreciation for like where you are now when you have that physical drain rather than that mental, because like as an entrepreneur, we're always looking ahead or looking back and seeing what's working, what's not and putting all these pieces together. And it gets us very out of where we are in the moment. And so having that physical exertion is a game changer. So good. So good. Yeah. So tell me about what the core elements of a highly influential and effective brand are. Oh gosh, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, okay. Well, I, I split it into six different elements. Um, first one, obviously being purpose. Um, I see that as like the foundation of a brand and really what sits underneath that is, is, uh, your why and your values Mm -hmm. and how you actually integrate your values into your business. Um, And then the second thing I look at is your story, right? So to me, your story is uh, the vehicle for your why. It's like how you came to believe what you believe. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's such a vital part of of any brand of like sharing uh, who the people are behind it. And it's, it's a mistake that I see actually happen really often where people build a brand and, and you go to the about page and you're like, no, I need to see the humans. Like I want to see who's, who's here, like, and what they're doing. Right. You know, it doesn't impress me when, when an about page has like is written in third person and it's all about the team, but there's no, like there's no humanness to it. Um, and then the third element is the people. 
right? So um, I always split this into three categories. Like first is like, who is it that you're working for? Like who do you want to serve? So this idea of like a dream client or customer. And then two other groups of people. One, I would call your local tribe. So like, who are you surrounding yourself with um, on a regular basis in terms of support network? Who are you supporting? Um, who are you collaborating with? All of that stuff. And then the last group is what I would call your global tribe, right? So these are the people who are inspiring and influencing your work, you know? They're the people, to me, they're like the, the dream dinner party guests, you know? It's like that, yes. that, that group would be where you're like, oh, my God, imagine, just imagine if I could work with these people or collaborate with them. This would be phenomenal. Um, so that's the third element. And then the fourth element is uh, the product itself, right? So well, like, how do you explain what it is that you do or what it is that you sell? Like, how do you communicate your process? Um, how do you position yourself in the market? So it's that, that kind of element is, is very nuts and bolts and very black and white, you know, mm -hmm. um, but it's super, super important. And then the fifth element is um, your visual identity, right? So we, we, you know, that's normally the bit that people get really caught up in, but it's like, Literally, right. you don't get there until the fifth session um, <laughs> because it's not important until you've done the rest. And so that's not only how you look, but also how you speak. And actually, to me, I feel like that's probably more important. So mm. um, tone of voice, the language you use. Um, and and it's, it's interesting because I think quite often if you're a solo entrepreneur, you, you assume that you don't need to do that work. Um, because you're like, well, it's me and I'm the only person doing any of this work, but it's actually a really good process to go through. And, and I found recently when I work within teams, it's one of the most valuable things that they do together. Um, and also people who work on their own, it's like, because here's hoping at some point you will become a team, you know, you will employ right. someone or you'll, you'll bring on, um, you, you know, you'll bring on an intern or an assistant and, you know, I always remember when I first had, um, I have an amazing community manager, Neve at Subkids. And when she first started working for me, we had to go through this process because she was doing all our social media. And so she had to understand like, this is how we speak. These are words that we do use. These are words that we don't. These are, um, trusted media resources that we would take com like, com like content from these are places we would never take content from. Um, just so that when, you know, it wouldn't matter whether I wrote content or she wrote it, there would be that consistency across the Right, world. yeah. So important. Um, and then the last part of building a brand is, is the experience design, right? So mm -hmm. a lot of that comes down to customer journey mapping and understanding like what are all the different touch points of your brand and, and how can you make those the very best that they can and are there tiny details that you can add into that process that won't necessarily cost you a bunch of money to do, but will make a huge difference and have a big impact. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of the, my like six step process for, for building brands. Yeah. And then once you have this brand created, you have a saying called, um, blend who you are with what you do. And yeah. so how can we speak and live this brand that we've created now? Yeah. I mean, I think we so often like compartmentalize ourselves. Like we're like, mm -hmm. Oh, I need to put my work hat on now. And I, you know, I, I can't talk about this, this, and this because I need to be professional. And, you know, that leads back to my why, right? Which is like, no, just be you. <laughs> just be you on purpose. So 
um, you know, for me, it's about blending uh, the things that you're passionate about, the um, whether that's, you know, hobbies or causes, whatever, um, into your brand so that, you know, I think the perfect litmus test for, for any, you know, entrepreneur, um, who's, especially, you know, in the coaching world and stuff is like, have one of your best friends look at your website or read some of your copy because they'll know immediately if it doesn't feel like you, you know, they'll be right. like, Oh God, you never use that language. Why would you? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I think what we often forget is that, um, we, yeah, we, we value humanness. And so, um, we would rather engage with, um, a business that has a human running it and that we can learn a little bit about who they are and what they care about. And actually, you know, if, if all I did on my Instagram was talk about brand strategy, it would probably be the most boring Instagram account in the world. But mm. the reality is, is like, I'm more than a brand strategist. And so if you follow me on Instagram, like you're going to see a whole bunch of stuff about being outdoors and surfing and paddleboarding and stuff. And it's like, well, that's who I am. And, and what I, what I aim to do is like for there never to be a disconnect between how I show up online and, and who I am. So it's like, if, if you've never met me before, but you've been following my stuff or you read my newsletter and then you meet me in real life, you're like, Oh cool. You're exactly as I expected you to be, you know? And I think yeah. that, that's a sign of, of congruency. Yeah. And so as an entrepreneur, like, um, you're a pretty big Gary V fan, you know, for his work ethic and the amount of, you know, hustle and stuff that he does, but how do you balance this hard work mentality with doing things that you enjoy in life, like surfing and paddleboarding? It's so funny because I feel like Gary V has gotten a lot of stick in the last couple of years because he's, you know, he talks a lot about the hustle and, and I honestly, like, I really admire him because I think he's just speaking a lot of truth, which is like, yeah. it's really freaking hard. And like, uh, I think there's, there's a lot of, am I allowed to swear on this? Yes. Yeah, go ahead. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of bullshit, like content around with like people, you know, especially around this idea of being like a location independent entrepreneur, lifestyle entrepreneur. Well, I don't even know what that means. Um, <laughs> you know, with and people put it posting photos of themselves on a beach with a laptop. And I think anyone who runs a business looks at that and is like, "What? Like, when was yeah. the last time I took my laptop to the beach? That's nuts! Like, I would never." <laughs> You get the sun glare. You can't even see my screen. Like there's nothing good about it. And so I think we have to be realistic and we're like, yeah, it takes a lot of work. And yeah, maybe you're going to get to a point in your career where it isn't all full on hard work. um, Mm -hmm. And you're not having to do like crazy amounts of uh, hours, but actually at the start you probably will. And that's okay. Um, And I feel like I'm really lucky in that I, um, yeah, I'm super lucky in that, that surfing is one of those things where I guess unlike other hobbies, it's not always available to you, right? Like the, there aren't always waves. Uh, the conditions right. aren't always great. So it means when they are, you kind of want to just drop everything and go surfing. And so for me, that works in my favor a lot because it, it means that um, I just don't really, I don't really, um, yeah, I, I give myself permission, I guess, to drop everything and surf or paddle um, when I when I really want to, and that makes uh, you know there are times when I when I think God, if I didn't have this like full on addiction to those sports, I would worry about myself because I probably would work 
every minute mm. of the day. But, um, but I know how much value comes from unplugging and, um, and spending time in the ocean. And, and so it, it just makes a lot of sense, but yeah, there's weirdly, I think, you know, there are some people who need discipline to plug into work. And I think there are some people who need discipline to unplug and mm-hmm. I'm definitely one that needs discipline to unplug. I think a lot of entrepreneurs find themselves in that situation, especially if you really, really love what you do. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's not a, it's not a bad place to be like making yourself unplug to go surfing, you know? So I'm right. <laughs> Yeah. And I think, um, you know, especially for you because of how much, you know, ocean advocacy work that you do and the people that you work with, like, unplugging going into the ocean spending that time in there is like well this is the reason that I'm working so hard on those other hours yeah totally it's it it connects me back to the to the very reason why I'm doing what I'm doing and 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 um you know it's like we said with a three-day effect it's like I know the impact it has on my productivity and my creativity Mm -hmm. to to have that you know I recently um was on a, a trip in Tahiti it was like maybe three months ago and it was a work trip uh but it was Tahiti right so right (laughs) um and you know we we literally were working pretty much all day every day like we were sneaking off for surfs and paddles and little adventures you know throughout the day but like there were work days um but what I noticed was that one, I was on the opposite side of the planet, which meant I was awake and working when pretty much most of the people in my network were asleep. So mm-hmm. I had very little distraction because because people weren't engaging with me. I wasn't getting emails all the time. And then right. because I was physically not here, um, I had no meetings, right? I had no, like, no um, commitments to go anywhere or be anywhere other than do the work. And I ended up doing some of the most productive and like, honestly, like the, the, some of the best work and coming and doing some of the best, like what I call deep work right? Um, yeah, that's what... that I've done in a really long time. And I'm like, oh my, like I got back on the plane. I'm like, holy shit, that was worth going to Tahiti and being separated from everything for that period of time, just because of the amount of work that I just got done. And it's really high quality work because there was no distractions, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking about uh, the book by Cal Newport, Deep Work, um, where he's basically talking about that, um, you know, having that time to unplug, no other distractions, and you just get into your craft and do it. So it's so important. And, and at the same time, it's very hard to, to, to do that at home sometimes, you know. Um, I'm definitely not saying that you need to go to Tahiti to do it, but it helps. <laughs> yeah, beneficial for sure. Yeah. Um, so tell me about this idea of sharpening your axe and how it helps you basically be in the long game as an entrepreneur. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that um, there's so there's so much pressure to be performing and putting out content and uh, yeah, just doing the work and being seen to do the work that you you often, I don't know, I think we can often forget the importance of being really good at our craft and also taking really good care of ourselves. Mm. Uh, and, and so we, we can end up putting out like pretty mediocre work just for the sake of putting it out. Um, right. So to me, there's, there's so much value in, in pausing and, and also this idea of kind of niching down and, and getting clear on like what you want to be known for and, and, then, and then doubling down on learning that 
skill and that craft. Um, and I think that that does a few things. I mean, one, I think it makes your work uh, far more fun, right? And you go a lot further with it. But also um, from a business, like commercial perspective, you get a lot better at the thing that you do and you become known mm-hmm. for it and it, it really pays dividend, you know? Um, but it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's really easy to get caught up in the other side of that, which is this constant putting stuff out and, um, and getting into that. I think we all do it. Like we get into that comparing mode where we look at what everyone else is doing. And right. uh, I think as much as you can step back from that, that's the, definitely the smarter way to be. Yeah, I think uh, that's been big for me, um, especially with content. When I stopped sort of like looking at everybody's content and just kind of focused in on, okay, what am I going to do? Um, The ideas came a lot easier. They were, you know, better production value. Um, Things were just more clear because I gave myself the room to actually create rather than just copy what everybody else is doing. Yeah, and I think a lot of people can end up, it, it can sometimes be completely unintentional that noise you know they don't even mean to be comparing and then end up oh, right. any like copying stuff and it's not that they mean to it's just like you're absorbing all the stuff so of course it's going to start you're going to start sounding like that and thinking like oh maybe I should do that and yeah I think for me it happened fairly early on where I I recognized you know honestly it was like super toxic to just be spending all this time looking at your boxes mm. <laughs> um and so I just yeah just kind of made the decision I'm like okay I'm just gonna stop following everyone and just go my own way. And you know, if, if my way ends up not working, then I'll go back to the drawing board, but it felt like such a relief to make that decision, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I want to talk a little bit about your ocean advocacy work, your and, um, the sup kids model of basically, you know, having kids in the water, teaching them through sport, being outdoors, um, which I think is brilliant instead of just showing them in the classroom, they build that connection. Um, and so tell me a little bit, you know, why you're about passionate about this, why you started it. Yeah. So, so I guess, you know, a lot of it started like way back when before, before festivals were any of that, like I used to run a surf school here. So, you mm-hmm. know, my, my first kind of steps into entrepreneurship were, yeah, running surf school, teaching kids to surf. And I always saw that as an opportunity to educate kids about the environment, right? Like there's no better place uh, to tell a kid about why we should protect the ocean than when they're like absolutely frothing and falling in love with <laughs> that experience. Right. Um, and I, I remember having feedback. We used to do a lot of like surf safety and ocean awareness stuff, um, in local schools. And I remember teachers saying to me, they're like, it's nuts. You guys come into school and you do, you like, you do a presentation and some of the stuff we teach the kids, but like, because you guys come in and you have surfboards and stuff, they're way more engaged. Um, and right. so I've always known that that, yeah, that there's, there's a, a really good opportunity there. And then SUPKids happened completely by mistake. I had been offered a, um, a consulting gig to, to set up a stand-up paddle school in Australia. And it was like the, it was like the perfect storm in that, um, you know, it was in that period of time post events. And so, uh, I was, kind of looking for a different direction and um it was a a friend of mine that I used to work with and he was like look this this couple needs someone who knows the logistics and like how to set up a business and how to actually run a a sub school Um, (laughs) but also they need someone who's got some branding and marketing and I was like oh sweet (laughs) yeah and um it was winter at the time here 
And it was like, oh, and it's a three month gig and you can go to Australia and live in Cairns. And I was like, oh, okay, that sounds great. So I said yes and um, went out there and had no intentions to do anything other than like do the job and then come home. But um, we were, this is a classic Australian story in that um, we couldn't teach in the ocean because in that part of Australia, there are a lot of things that want to kill you. Um, <laughs> ocean. And so Cairns, the city has this um, big lagoon, like man-made lagoon um, on the waterfront. And so we were teaching in there. And it's beautiful, but it's basically a glorified swimming pool. And <laughs> one of the things about stand-up paddleboarding is that it's a very easy sport to learn. And, and that's partly why I love it because it's super accessible for kids. Um, yeah. But that also makes it fairly challenging when you're teaching because, you know, after, especially when you're in a, a lagoon, it's like after 10 minutes of kids, like they're like, they know how to do it. They're like paddling around in circles and they want more. Um, right. There's only so many games you can play and stuff. And so I was like, oh, hold on a second. I, I have a bunch of resources from when I used to run the surf school forever ago, like environmental education, maybe I'll start integrating that. So I slowly started putting that in. And then uh, we got uh, connected to this guy who worked for this organization called the Royal Flying Doctors. They're a super inspiring organization in Australia. And they do, um, I previously, the only thing I thought they did was like fly in and out of remote areas and, and, and give medical aid. But actually right. they do a lot of preventative mental health work with indigenous oh, wow. communities. And so we got to know this guy and he was like, I really love what you're doing. I think by that point, we maybe we'd called it SUP Kids. It didn't, like, it wasn't really even a thing. Um, and he was like, would you come and teach this Aboriginal community, SUP Kids? We're like, yeah, mm -hmm. sure. So we went up and it was such a phenomenal, like, it was a very humbling experience because um, I had never, you know, I'd lived in Australia on and off for quite a long time, but I'd never really had very much connection with indigenous culture. And it was very humbling to see it and to learn more about that and to kind of witness some of the, uh, some of the disconnection between those, those kind of two communities. Um, anyway, so we taught a program, it went really well. And then we ended up going on tour with the Royal Flying Doctors. And so we were flying in and out of these really remote locations in far North Queensland. And then we actually did a couple tours where we drove, ridiculous amounts of kilometers like full-on four-wheel drive um you know a day or two days drive to get to each location and teach these kids and and that's kind of how sub kids came about and then um i think it was the second year in we um so yeah my three-month gig did not last three months um <laughs> and then the second year in my uh we we got a fair amount of press in the u.s uh, sorry in, in oz and we got a call from this stand-up paddleboard company called starboard and, uh, and they were like, hey, we really love what you're doing. Will you come to Thailand and show us? And within like a week, we're like, sure. So went over to Thailand and then formed a partnership with them. And it's really thanks to them um, that SUPKids is where it's at today because they're a really big company and they've been really supportive in kind of helping us grow uh, the concept and reach out to all these different communities. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been a wild ride, but a really good one. Yeah. And so do you um, use this sort of model of like educational experience um, in some of the other things that you founded as well as like the businesses that you help with strategy? Yeah, I mean, so I guess the other, my main focus at the moment is, is protect blue and, mm -hmm. and protect blue it, really similar, right? It, it came from uh, going to a bunch of sustainability conferences and, and having these moments going, hold on a second, especially ocean related ones. 
looking around the room and being like, we're all ocean people, but somehow you've trapped us all indoors and (laughs) drink shitty coffee and watch presentation after presentation after presentation and like no one's listening anymore. And it was a shame because so many of them have incredible speakers and stuff, but you just, I mean, I find you just kind of disengage after a certain point. So Protect Blue really started as um, a sustainability conference that plays outside, right? So it was like, Mm -hmm. let's take those same people, but let's do, you know, same as I do with my brand strategy, let's take them hiking, let's take them paddleboarding. Um, And so we run three, we have our fourth one in Bermuda this year and, and, um, they've proven to be like really popular and really effective ways of like building community um, and giving what we term like ocean advocates. So people who are working in that space, whether that's full time or as a side hustle or a passion project, um, give them the tools they need to have the greater impact. So one of the things that that we noticed the very first Protect Blue event we ran, um, we brought in experts in the issues, right? So plastic pollution, climate change, all that kind of stuff. And Mm -hmm. what we realized pretty soon was that actually those people who come to our events don't need education in that space because they're very well versed um, already. And so we kind of went back to the community and was like, what is it that you do need help in? And it was super interesting because they were like, like strategy and storytelling and fundraising and measuring impact, Mm -hmm. you know? And so for me, I was like, oh, cool. I can really help with some of that stuff. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and so, you know, now, you know, fast forward um, two years, my business partner, Luke, is a filmmaker and a photographer and a storyteller. So he's able to bring that element in um, and I'm bringing in kind of the strategy side. And so um, all the experts that we bring to events now are teaching people those skills. Um, mm. And I think, especially within the ocean conservation space at the moment, we, I guess the way we look at it is like we back the jockey, not the horse, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. uh, I think there's a lot of focus on ideas of like, oh, who's who can come up with the best idea for plastic pollution? But if you don't have the right people running that project, it, it won't happen or it won't be effective. And so rather than Protect Blue being another ocean conservation organization we're like no let's actually look at what these people need and see how we can support them so that's kind of how everything yeah it's it's super strange how everything is weirdly connected i guess yeah absolutely comes together Mm. um so where do you see the landscape of entrepreneurship and business going um like do you think impact is going to be at the forefront of this with you know new businesses or is it going to be something that's sort of like greenwashing where everybody just wants to be green, but they don't actually yeah. live it? It's such an interesting space right now because on one hand, you know, there's a lot of research that's coming out saying, you know, consumers, millennials, they want impact driven companies. They want to engage with brands who are actually doing good. And I think what's right. amazing is we're starting uh, to see the, the power of our voices and recognize that, um, we can make some noise Um, and that's phenomenal in itself. But I think what's also happening at the same time is that consumers are becoming far more educated. So Mm -hmm. a classic example right now, I would say is like the fast fashion um, issue in that what I love seeing is when people start questioning these brands. So you have like a brand like H and M or like in the UK, we have this brand called Boohoo and they, they, they put out, classic greenwashing spin um and they probably would have gotten away with it two or three years ago but they're not getting away with it anymore you know and it's not to say that the industry 
uh, is changing its ways or anything like that. There's a huge amount of work to be done, but, but I think we're getting to a point where yes, we want impact and also like we will question you about your impact. So you better be doing it right because you won't, you'll get found out if you don't, you know, if you don't actually have the right intentions behind it. Yeah. I think consumers are so aware these days, like we can smell the bullshit, like don't try and you know feed us something. Yeah, totally. And so, you know, it's an interesting time for brands because, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of education that needs to happen for a lot of brands because they, they're on the back foot because they don't really know what they're doing and they're having to, uh, they're having to make changes really, really quickly. Um, but it's exciting. Like I, I you know, and yeah. there's, there's some brands that are really leading the way. I think, you know, Patagonia is kind of the cliche one, but they're definitely up there and they're, and they're making real change. And I, and I think it's amazing, uh, communities like the B Corp community so that other businesses and entrepreneurs can, can learn from them. And, and, you know, it's not to say that you'll be able to go out and, and have that kind of impact immediately, but at least if you start thinking about it, it's, um, yeah, it's really positive. Yeah, absolutely. So the, one of the last things I want to talk about is, um, it seems like you've really built a life that, you know, lights you up both in what you're you know doing as a business, as well as, you know, what you're doing outside of that. Um, and what would you, you know, give advice to people to build that life for yourself, um, you know, that actually brings you joy and fulfillment in both work and business? Yeah, I mean, I think I, there's two sides to this. One is, uh, you know, like I want to be totally honest and frank and be like, man, a lot of it's really hard work and it's not all mm-hmm. like fairy tales and unicorns. So there's that side. Um, but the I guess the other side is just, just carving out and it sounds really cliche, but like carving out the path that you want to be on and, and not accepting any less. And I, and I think that so often people think that they're trapped in situations, but they're really not, you know, they're the only boundaries they put are are things that they put on themselves. And, and I think we're living this amazing time where, you know, careers, like they, they don't, they don't sit how they used to sit, you know, like I know when I was in school, it was the school I went to, it was a really good school, but it was like when you got into, so like for us, it's called sixth form in the UK, in the UK. Yeah. So it's like, it's like when you're a 17, 18, right. And when you get into sixth form, you start getting asked, like, what are you going to do? And the school I went to was so traditional, a very academic school. And it was like, well, are you going to be a teacher, a lawyer, a doctor, <laughs> you know? And if you didn't fit into any of those boxes, they honestly didn't really know what to do with you. Um, I didn't fit into any of those. Um, and I, I guess some of the stuff that I'm really excited about now and, and it's stuff that I share with, with kids actually a lot is like, if you find a cause that you care really deeply about and you have a skill set, like how can you blend those things together? Because Mm. actually if you do that, you probably will find a career path and it's not to say it will be easy and it's not to say that you'll be like a zillionaire, but you'll probably be really, really happy. And at the end of the day, that's what counts, right? Yeah, absolutely. So finding that, that contribution that you can give and mixing it with the skills that you have. You know, and I think we all, you know, I think the, I mean, this is a whole other podcast, but like (laughs) the the education system is totally screwed and we, We spend uh, years in school being told what we're not good at and being forced to get better at things we're not good at rather than a teacher going, holy shit, you're really creative. Let's lean into that. Or, wow, Mm -hmm. you're really good at tech. Let's, you know, 
And I think what you learn as an adult is like, it doesn't matter that I really sucked at science because I don't need to use it in my everyday life or what, you know, whatever that is for you. Um, and I actually think, yeah, like starting to understand like what comes really easily to you. What do you really enjoy doing like that? You know, those, those, um, those skill sets that, that like time just goes past when you're doing them to me, it's like, well, those are indicators of, of the work you should be doing, you know? Um, and it, and I think once you find those things and you're like, Oh cool. Like that's actually a job that I, it's a service I can provide or it's a product I can build. Um, and if you can bring a cause and a purpose to it, then, then you're on track, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I love the day and age that we live now because a lot of times, like, even if it doesn't exactly exist yet, the odds are that you can get enough resources together that you can create that career. You can create that job. Yeah, which is phenomenal. Like, it's such an incredible time to be alive in that respect, right? Yeah, absolutely. So before I get to my last question, where can everybody find you and what the things that you're working on? Okay, so rather than reeling off like 20 websites, <laughs> I'm just going to give you my website, which is lindsayhawkin.com. So L-I-N-Z-I-H-A-W-K-I-N.com. And on there are like the links to all the other stuff that I do. Um, and I write, it's so funny, I've recently just been plugging back into writing again I kind of fell out of it because I was super busy but um I forget how much I love writing so there's a bunch of um bunch of stuff written up on there in the journal and uh yeah it's kind of where where most things go and it's like the hub for everything and and then like I guess the other place I'm most active is Instagram and just Lindsay walking on Instagram too awesome so my final question is how can we push the world to evolve oh gosh um that's a good question you know, I, I think it's, uh, I think curiosity has a lot to do with it, mm. right? Being curious of asking questions, not being afraid to use your voice, but ultimately it comes down to like doing something. <laughs> uh, it blows my mind. You know, you were talking before about greenwashing. It blows my mind how many people are, I think there's a term for it, which I love, which is slacktivists. you know, mm. or like uh, activists, but in a really slack way. So they just <laughs> stuff on Facebook about these issues but yeah I I think to me it's like if you want to see change in the world like go out and do something and you don't need to start Mm. a non-profit or like do some huge thing it's like you can you can have such an impact in your local community um but the, the people that I admire the most in the world are the doers you know the people who are like I saw this injustice and I wanted to do something about it and I didn't care if I didn't know the answers and I didn't care if it wasn't perfect, but I went out and I started doing something. And to me, you know, you could spend five years developing some beautiful theory or building some amazing product, but like, actually I, I'm I'm excited to hang out with the people who are on the ground doing the work. Um, And that's what I think will evoke the most change. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love that message so much. Guys, go out there, do something today that can make an impact, whether it's just with the people around you, your community, or, you know, the world at large. Um, So Lindsay, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a great interview. No problem. Thank you. It was really fun. Hey, you. Yes, you. I want to thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, then please open up your podcast app rate and review. That's really going to help get this life-changing content out to more entrepreneurs just like you who are pushing the world forward. As always, my friend, keep evolving.